Say It With Guitars. I'm your host, Pete Cornelius. Each episode, I'll be digging deep and getting to hang with some of Australia's finest guitar pickers, songwriters, producers, collectors, and makers. I look forward to bringing you these fun conversations and I hope you enjoy Say It With Guitars. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Say It With Guitars. Thanks again for joining us. A lovely... uh, chat I've got for you planned today. The one and only Damien Caffarella. Such a great name to roll off the tongue. Uh, a bit of a backstory actually which made me release this one at the moment is uh, a friend of mine David Gray was over at a festival called Dashville and he saw Damien play uh, in numerous bands and he was like oh Damien you should uh, hook up with Pete. He's got this podcast going on. I think he'd be a great guest and uh what do you know he'd already been interviewed so <laughs> enjoy folks before we crack into today's show i'd like to shout out to our sponsor mr billy tarrant from tarrant guitars billy's an amazing luthier and he makes some real sweet instruments i'm lucky enough for him to have built me a double o size acoustic guitar which I've dragged all around the country and it's sounding better than ever. So yeah, check out tarrantguitars.net.au. Tessie's one-stop custom workshop for custom-made guitars, all guitar repairs and services. Let's get into the show. I'd like to welcome to Say It With Guitars today's guest, Mr. Damien Caffarella. Damien, how are you? Hey. How are you going? Yeah, I'm, I'm very well, thanks, Pete. Um, yeah, just, just here in freezing cold morning. I had a COVID booster yesterday, so I'm feeling a bit <laughs> out of sorts this morning. So, but um, but yeah, bit, ah, been going right. real well. Bit of, a, bit of a dead arm. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Uh, like I'm totally fine, but um, but yeah, yeah. There's definitely <laughs> definitely a couple side effects this time, which is a bummer. Yeah, yeah right. Have you been through <laughs> the ringer yet? Have you had the had the cove? I have, I have. I, I I had it a few weeks before Tamworth, and um, which actually proved to be. If you're going to get it, like, it's probably a good time to get it so that you don't end up with cancellation of, like, many gigs all in that condensed week. So, um, so yep. yeah, I had pretty good immunity. <laughs> nice. Because I, I did hear that yeah. a lot of people did come back from Tamworth with with the Cove. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Nature of the beast, Man. unfortunately. It's, yep, that's it. That's it. But yeah, so you, so you've been well. Yeah, I've been great. Yeah, I've been hanging out, just uh, doing my thing, starting a great. podcast just for you know all my spare time. Thought I'd yeah, <laughs> that's it. hang out with oh, some fellow awesome. musos and and have a chat and maybe share some stories with people. And yeah, just I thought it's a nice idea to another way to to network and bring the community together. So here we are. Absolutely. Absolutely. While we're talking about Tamworth, we might as well have a little chat about Tamworth. You're you're one of the busiest men in Tamworth. You're you're all over the place. How? Yeah, I. I how do you manage that? How yeah. do you juggle? You know, um, different bands, different sounds, different guitars, all that stuff. I mean, just booking things. Like, give us a little insight into decaf. Yes. On tour in Tamworth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, well, leading up, like, um, typically there will be. Um, there'll be a couple of shows that I base my calendar around. And, um, and, and I try to keep that really fair, um, you know, like um, people that get in first or whatever. Uh, but, but generally speaking, I'll be, I'll be doing a, a couple of things with Lachlan and, and there's, there's usually something that happens as something either semi-regular like through the week like like there might be three days or something or there might be like you know I sometimes get booked to play with Bill Chambers at the pub and that will be like the same time every day and then it's just a case of slotting things in and around that and just being able to go oh I can do that oh I can't do that um and and uh but yeah leading up to it is definitely um is definitely the challenge I try to not uh obviously it was in a different month this year but I try to not really overcommit myself 
for January. Like I don't promise people that I'm going to have a thousand mixes out to them and 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 everything's going to be super speedy because um, I think one of the one of the ways to make sure that you um, that, that you keep getting work in that space is just making sure that you're really prepared and um, and making sure that people are comfortable and confident that that you're gonna do the job, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's definitely a lot on the line, um, and especially from an artist's point of view, booking a guitar player, Absolutely. knowing that they're gonna be busy. It it it's not always the well. I guess they're busy number one because they're good and they get the job done. But you also think. I really hope they've done their homework and, and hope my show, they're going to, you know, put 110% into my show as well as the next one and all that. Yeah. So hats off to you, man. You've And, and, and are you simply playing guitar really at Tamworth? Or you, I know you sort of dabble in all sorts of instruments, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Well, like I've, I've been restricting it much more... Um, to guitar, like uh, like I very rarely do drum gigs. Like I um, these days, um, just I have a little bit of some early onset arthritis, and I find that I just get too emotive on drum gigs and start hitting way too hard because you know <laughs> they put microphones in the bass drums, and I go yes, the Italian in me takes over. Um, <laughs> but uh, so so I try to you know sort of hang around. Um, uh, bass and guitar. Even though I love drums, like like I just want to be able to play them on records for a long time. You know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Once you start playing in a live environment on the drum kit, it it does get pretty exciting pretty quick. And yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Your, it's not if it's not your regular gig, you sort of have far too much fun and yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, definitely. Feeling. Definitely. So you play a bit of drums as well, don't you, Pete? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my yeah. old man's a drummer, and. I guess we kind of learnt together, you know. He sort of started learning drums when I started learning guitar, just as a unreal supportive. Well, no, I wouldn't say supportive. He just he just found out he could play drums one night at a party. He's like, "Oh, what's his drum kit in the corner? I'll go and play it." <laughs> and then he just like that's <laughs> smashed out a four in the floor. I went, "Oh, I can do this." So we kind of what a legend. We kind of learnt um, together in that respect. So we, and, you know, I played a little bit of drums and he taught me some stuff, and then. Eventually, I was teaching him some stuff, but you know, that's just—I don't think he gets. Yeah, he likes that's being awesome. taught what to do. I tell what to do on the drums. He's like, oh, "I don't do that. <laughs> I play it like this, and that's yeah. it." Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> we, yeah, we had fun. We had fun. He was the drummer in my band for a long time, so we. And because I was a lot younger, I was Way. fifteen, sixteen, touring around. So he was my like, parent guardian at these venues, and I yes. could sneak in and get the job done. <laughs> It's Very great. good. That's awesome. What a cool story. That is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how about a little bit of your backstory, mate? How did you first get into guitar and maybe what was your first instrument or did you have any mentors or did you learn through your yeah. folks or school or give us a little rundown? Well, it was kind of all of the above, honestly, for me. Like I had zero interest in music. In fact, it like it, through primary school, I used to talk to my cousins that would sit in their rooms listening to music and go, why are you doing that? That's such a waste of time. Um, and, uh, and my brother started um, on the drums. Like he started in year seven. They had to learn an instrument for music class and had a... Um, there, there was a great music teacher, uh, music coordinator at the high school we went to. Um, and he was always really supportive. Um, and, and my dad, uh, played, uh, plays, plays guitar and bass and, um, and he's really cool. good, but, um, but he had us really young. Uh, so he, there was much fewer gigs, um, and just more, you know, getting the roof going and, um, but, uh, but yeah, yeah. So, so I didn't really hear any music until, until pretty late in the piece. Like, and what I did was just church music. Like we, like I'd, dad would play in the band, um, on Sundays and I'd go, look, it's pretty cool. Like it's good that yep. he knows how to do that. But, but I, I didn't have a lot of interest in it. Like when, when, um, when him and mum started going to church regularly, mum, mum went a little bit heavy into it all. And um, and like burnt dad's record collection and stuff. So my introduction oh. to music was I was given like one Christian rap CD and it was so bad. <laughs> and uh, like it was enough. It was enough to steer me off for a long time. <laughs> yeah. 
Wow. Yeah, yeah. Well, well after after that um, after that experience, I, um, <laughs> I, I I I I hit high school, and my brother was playing in the rock bands, and he got out of a period of maths or whatever each week, and like they had band classes at my at my school, and. Um, and another friend of mine that I went to primary school with was at the same high school and he's like, you should get a guitar so you can join our band. And I was like, yeah, all right. You know, and, and I'd messed around with my brother's drums because we shared a bedroom and so we had a drum set in there so I was always going to hit him. Cool. Um, yeah. and, then, and, uh, and then I got a Squire Stratocaster. For, for, I, I asked everyone for money and, um, and got this, um, this cheap guitar. Uh, and I still have it, and it's awesome. <laughs> um, right. And then, um, um, That's cool. so that was like, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so that would have been 1997 or 1998 or something. Like, can't remember whether I was right in from year seven or I was pinching guitars and learning bits, and then I got the guitar the next year. But, um, but yeah, so, so yeah, that was that was the vibe. Um, the, the, that was what got me started going. And 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 again, like um, we we couldn't really afford like private lessons, so I would just pester all of the music staff and Mr. Pointer can I have the keys to the music room so we can rehearse at lunchtime. And and um, so yeah, I like I don't know why I was so into it. Um, uh, I believe I, I believe there's a very similar story. Uh, not that we're anywhere near the same standard of musician, but. Um, I, I remember reading once that Jimmy Page used to take his guitar to other classes and play just until it got confiscated, and and I actually did exactly <laughs> the same thing, and um, and um, and so yeah, I'd get my guitar back at lunchtime or whatever, and I don't think the teachers were were that fond of it, but they knew I was no good for anything else. I think. Yeah. Right. <laughs> It's a wonder they just didn't let you play it and go, oh, just, just sit over there in the corner, just don't bother anyone, just go over there and <sighs> keep yourself totally. entertained. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. I think school. that would have been my approach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so when did you start? Uh, I was probably nine, nine years old and, well, I played piano nice. for probably two years. I took lessons uh, from a local teacher down the road who was, I, I guess, pretty loose in the, like, you know, we, we sort of went through the whole you know, grading system and all that. But he was also very appreciative of improvisation or um, he was a, a bit of a jazz piano player and he had background in like... Oh, nice. Sort of old school sort of rag, ragtime piano. Um, yeah, beautiful. So I, I kind of got into that sort of style of piano and then I sort of thought, oh, this is pretty cool. Like, And then I started hearing guys like Jerry Lee Lewis and... And then that steered me into like early rock and roll. That kind of really got me buzzed was that early kind of yeah, sun man. stuff, you know, like hearing Elvis for the first time and and oh, just just the rock around the clock sort of, you know, Little Richard and all that stuff. I was like, wow, this stuff's awesome. electric. It's buzzing. So that, that kind of, I guess that's where I first heard um, rhythm and blues. I didn't know what it was. I just heard this music and thought it was pretty amazing. And then, and then yeah, yeah, the piano teacher oh. sort of, Helped me out in that direction, and then I, I guess I just got frustrated. You know, when you're a kid, you're sort of a bit influenced by people and things that are trending. You know, it's it's a natural Absolutely. thing to do. <laughs> so I started playing guitar. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Dad had an acoustic at home. I'd I'm s- plucked on, but yeah, I'd go to school and I'd borrow the crappiest, shittiest little <laughs> guitar and amp combo package. I'd take it home for the weekend yep. or, you know, maybe I'd, if I was lucky, I got to have it for the holidays. And that was just like yep. amazing. So, yeah, that was yeah, kind of yeah. my little yeah. entry point. So the early, early rock awesome. and roll. I, I, I'm, yes, I'm so jealous of that actually. Like I, uh, like I just go like, uh, like what a great and cool thing to be into. Like, uh, like, uh, like I kind of had to go from the reverse where, where it was what was modern because we hit high school and then that was when I started listening to music that wasn't church music. Um, sure. and, and, and it needs to be said there's some good church music too, like there's some cool gospel tunes and stuff like that, which, um, but, yeah. but it wasn't so much that kind of church. It was sort of the bad pop music church. Um, <laughs> okay. And, um, and, and like so I kind of had to go the other way where it's like in 97, yeah. 98, the stuff that our band teacher was teaching us was stuff that he thought we would relate to, and it was, it was like Powderfinger songs and um, 
Pearl Jam songs and Oasis songs and things yep. like that. Um, yep. And then I I had to read the NME magazines and read about who their influences were and go backward and go backward and go backward and go backward. And um, and, sure. and so I, t- I took a very long way around to discovering um, rhythm and blues and um, and you know even even country which which I'm still not a well versed like country musician or anything like that like um like I'm still very much just just a just a rock player a, you know a guy with an interesting chords <laughs> you know yeah that's right melody and well I, I guess that late 90s period was very guitar I was, I was kind of on the edge of the electric totally. guitar being cool right so you had had your Nirvanas mm-hmm. they they would have sort of been fading out a little bit but it's that sort of hangover from that still would have been prevalent like you said the Pearl Jams probably the Sound Gardens and all that kind of Definitely. alternative tuning stuff did you yep. experiment with tunings like that as a young definitely well or? yeah 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 definitely um my old man used to used to crack it because I didn't have an acoustic and he had this old um Maiden CW80, this old 70s one that is still one of the best guitars I've ever played. Um, but he, um, every time he picked it up, it was in, it was in some different tuning because I got heavily, through going back, I got very yep. heavily into Led Zeppelin. Um, <clears throat> and that was, a, yeah, that was a good avenue into, into alternate tunings. Um, yeah. And, and, and even just realising that, that, that they... Exist like like for so long with alternate tunings, I would hear about a tuning, and then I would, I would just throw my fingers on it until I got something that didn't sound terrible. Um, but but you really like that was right at the time where because we were we had dial up internet and we were printing tabs and uh, oh. I just whack this microphone, um, and we were printing. We were printing tabs for each other and sharing them. And it's like, hey, I'll, I'll loan you this tab that I found, and I think I think it's pretty right. Like, but the yeah. the information on the internet is usually worth every cent you pay for it. <laughs> yes, there's some trash out there. I know that teaching, you know, kids guitar. Like, so I, I kind of do a bit of that, or well, I have done a bit of that over the last twenty years of. And they, yeah, same thing. They'll they'll come and go. Oh, check out this tab I've got for this piece. And I look at it and I just like, hey, mate, you don't even waste your time putting your fingers on on any of these notes. It's just not going to totally. work. You know, totally. Let's let's try by ear. Let's let's sound it out. Yeah. You know. Yeah. As great as tabs are, like they're a good quick fix, but they don't help you memorize or learn shapes and patterns. It's just simple like yeah. data. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. It's convenient, but it's it's not a good way to. To learn, like, well, people no, learn from no. it. You know, each their yeah. own. Well, yeah, I suppose. I suppose I, um, I probably do have to go into bat for tabs a little bit because, um, yep. to this day, I, I still can't read a note of music. Like, um, I'm a really illiterate musician um, in, um, in that sense. Like, I. Um, I'm, I'm pretty handy on a number chart. I can write and read those really quickly. Sure. I can read read lead sheets, um, um, and but but I know that like you know sometimes I'll, I'll get booked for you know a carols gig or something here in Melbourne in an orchestra, and it's like you end up. No worries. Can I just see the sheet, sheet music in advance? Like you know, and you sort of check it all out, and you just work out your figures and the little bits that you need to play. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's definitely something that has slowed. It slowed me right down in the past, I think. Well, what's that classic joke? You know, how to, how to shut up a guitar player? <laughs> Put dots in a sheet in of music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. Works like every totally. time. Vote. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and maybe, maybe while we're talking, maybe while you brought that number chart thing up, um, mm. that, that might be of interest to some players out there who might not have heard it or might not have got into it much. Um, yeah, sure. So it's all based around the, the scale degree, isn't it? Absolutely. Like they call the Nashville, yeah, yeah. the Nashville numbers like, chart. I, 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 yeah, I believe it was invented by Chet Atkins um, when he was okay. producing at RCA Records. I, I think this is right. Um, so the legend goes, but um, it was it was made because they were knocking out um, these records, and it was a real, you know, American songbook sort of sort of approach. Like they they might record. Blue Bayou for three different artists um, every 
um, every week, you know. <laughs> like there's, yep. there's so many versions yep. of these classic songs that are around. And so I, I believe it was developed by Chet, uh, very, very closely related to the, the kind of do-re-mi approach, which is a bit different, I think, because if you read like Italian sheet music that's in do-re-mi or whatever, do is always C or something like that. Like, oh. like if oh, yeah, right. if it's in if if it's in if the key signature is B, it, it would it would be like, um, like like if it's uh, sorry, like like say if it was uh, C sharp, it would say Do sharp or whatever. So so, wow. so that's a bit of a weird that's a bit of a weird thing. But uh, but I think he wanted to yeah, develop right. something where he wasn't writing out um, for rhythm sections. Like he might do a different string arrangement or whatever, but, um, you know, and, and tailor it a little bit to artists. But Chet just came up with this thing where he could go, all right, everybody get out your Blue Bayou chart. Um, yep. And, you know, he would mess with the singer for a little while and they'd find the key and go for it. Um, yep. That's um, the beauty of it, so isn't it? You can yeah. change the key really quickly Sorry. and still have the same intervals. You just like, just the tonics yep. change, so... Yeah, 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 absolutely. And when I first started doing it, I hadn't seen one until I um, until I started playing in the wild, and um, and they, uh, which was the first time I'd ever really played any country. Lachlan, like they were getting ready to make a record, um, which was the first one I was involved in, the the mountain, and they had everything done as number charts, and yep. and it. Like one, four and five, like I was able to get onto that really quickly. But it is surprising how quickly you recognise common things on them. Like, you know, a three, seven chord, like like when you're in the heat of battle, you sort of go, oh, hang on a minute. Like, oh. you know, but, um, but, but, but after a while, like you start realising, because that's the other thing um, that, um, that's, that's kind of a bit of a point of difference with, um, with number charts is they're always written... In major keys, um, which is how I've experienced. Occasionally, I see one where somebody uh, writes sure. one minor or whatever. But like, sure. so so if the song's in E minor, it'll be written in G, and your one chord will be a six minor. Um, and so, uh, so once you play a, f- yeah, once you play a few songs that are in, um, in minor keys and have that three seven chord because everybody, every songwriter that's being dark. Uh, loves the the B seven shape. Um, as soon as you see that a few times, like you, like it all kind of starts to ma- make a pretty good picture in your head, and it's a super efficient way of 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 doing sessions. Like particularly for myself, because um, because on on a lot of records that um, that are that, that are produced here, um, I I have a little bit of a funny system with it where I'll get demos as early as possible and sort of put the song together in my head and literally the first thing that goes down, like without a guide track, without a guide vocal, is the drums. And so I just count it and I count off each section. So if, if the drums aren't until the first chorus, I count off the intro and then leading into the first verse, I count off the verse and then leading into a pre-chorus or a bridge, I'll count that off just so that I know that when I strum along with it later, everything's checking out. And um, and I, I put the drums down first uh, with no backing. <laughs> um, sure, which is a little that makes bit a lot of sense. It's a di- it's a different way of doing. It. Mm. Oh, sorry, yeah, that connection's a bit funny. Yeah. Audience members, if you're listening, and we're sort of yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> fighting for air. <laughs> um, I, I find that when drums go down, you can lay everything else on top of it and find the pocket much easier than say, layering down guitars, basses, vocals, whatnot, and then trying to put a drum track to that, it's one of the hardest things to do, I mm. think, as, as a multi-instrumentalist Absolutely. as well. It's like finding that pocket, you almost, like you said, better off starting with the drums. Well, not, this is, yeah, there's no right or wrong. Everyone can do it the way they like, mm. but I, f- totally. I, I find the same thing, totally. I actually find as well um, that, that, it's, that it's a really useful um, approach because... So often the artist will say, hey, look, I have a guide track for you that I recorded at home in Logic or whatever. And you go, great, all right, awesome. And, and you listen to it. And then by the time you're doing that against the click track, if I've got nobody in there, you know, messing me up, you know, like because I'm real fussy. Like the, the guide track has to be banging, you know, like um, if, yeah. you, if you're going to actually play over it. Uh, whereas 
Whereas, you know, like when the drums are going down, that's the foundation of the song. And it's like, man, that's got to feel, that's got to feel uninterrupted. That's got to feel like it's driving the show. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess, I don't know, in your, in your background, in your studio, so you've got a place, we should tell the the good listeners out there that you've got your own space called End of the Road. Yeah. And you've been, you've been working out of there for a while, yeah? That's a home-based studio? yeah. It's a home base studio. It's um, it's kind of the top floor of my house. Um, but it was when we renovated, we we made it to be a studio. It wasn't it wasn't a case of jamming everything in bedrooms. Like outside of my drum room, there's the the downstairs living room looks up the two stories, so we can do the Headley Grange drum sound if we want. Uh, and 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 uh, there's a big floorboarded space, so we can use room mics out there to to get interesting reverbs. Um, all of the house is wired up with Cat 6A, so every room in the house can oh, be nice. in isolation booth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't know how I snuck yeah. that one past Mel. But yeah, so yeah, yeah. So basically I just have it set up. Like it, it, this happened more um, during, during the, the extensive lockdowns that we had here in Melbourne, but um, I really just made it my business to set up my studio in that time in a way like I I, before that I was very much more okay what what do we need for 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 this particular song and what do we uh what do we need for for this and for that but then like you sort of start realizing that your ear has has taste that it sort of keeps angling back to a little bit so I just worked out a really simple way to um to have my drum set mic'd my I have my Princeton in the next room that's always mic'd up with a um, with a ribbon and a 57 and there's a vocal mic always ready to go I have a, uh, a little KM85 that I record acoustic instruments into kind of near me and, and, I, and during lockdown I got into those Stephen Slate mics a little bit where you can model it so I set myself up in a way so that I could do a lot of remote sessions where I just ran around and played a whole load of instruments and could and had a lot of options in ways that I can manipulate the sound afterward. Um, yep. And that's been real useful. Yeah, because it's definitely a different mindset, um, the creative totally. brain and the technological, or the, the, you know, the, the engineering brain. Because totally. ideally totally. you don't want to be on the fence with either. You, you kind of want to be 100% in, into the song or 100% into the mic choice, the placement, the environment that you're in. Or the treatment or yep. the preamp that you might be using, so there's a lot totally. of that stuff that goes into it. So I can definitely see the advantages of those modelling mics because you can basically just stick it up and deal with it later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Ideally. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and it was you know there was a learning curve. I was I was very sus on it for a long time, um, and you know and I still go through phases of it now that I'm not always in lockdown. And sometimes I, you know have people here in the studio that, that are helping out. You know, it's like I, I co-produce some stuff with, with Lachlan, the singer from my band, and um, and so he can sort of be really taking care of the artist and working through things creatively or looking at lyrics and stuff while I go, hey, I'm just going to change that microphone. But, um, but yeah, through yeah. the lockdown we just didn't have any of that and, um, and it, it was definitely it was definitely a very, uh, a very streamlined, um, easy way for me to get a lot of work done um, while I couldn't have anybody in my house, which was good. Yeah. Did you find yourself getting some sort of remote session stuff coming in and out? Like people yeah, sending you files or, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There was, um, um, we kind of, like, there were times that we would either, uh, like click and collect a microphone if, if the person lived within five kilometres of me, which not all the clients do. But we would sometimes stick them in Ubers and Skype in vocals and get get them to log into my Dropbox and upload their parts. And, and again, the advantage of being a multi-instrumentalist is like I was able to knock out actually quite a lot of music um, during that time. Uh, just had to be a little bit more creative and have artists that actually trusted that process you know yeah. like and yeah. uh because one, one, one of the rules i had was like if if it makes them uncomfortable and if they want to wait and they want to come to the studio i i won't resist that at all like it's their record they can 
they they need to feel like they yeah they just need to feel like it's the it's the best it's the way that they wanted to make it you know um, yep. but there was a surprisingly large number of people that are like I need a single I need something to make it so that I'm not going insane here. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's a pretty wild time. How did you go with with your mental state in that regard? Like, I know that I, mm. I'm a bit of an introvert. I do like my own space, my own time. But yeah, when you're forced to have your own space and your own time, it kind of like I couldn't wait to start getting out and interacting with people and just totally just like you know. How did you go in that regard? All right. So so this was this was a little bit of a funny one. For me, like only in that um, b- before COVID, I would have said, oh, man, if somebody told me that there's a pandemic that means that I'm going to sit here squirrelling away on music on my own and um, just, you know, it, like like that sounds like absolute heaven to to me on, <laughs> on a normal day. And and I'm, um, I'm actually, I'm actually not the most passionate gigger in the world. Like, um... Like my approach to music is 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 very much like is very much how how it goes together. And when I play gigs, like occasionally you just get one that is just like, oh, that's 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 amazing. Um, I can't believe we just had that much fun together. And and um, and you know, great artists, great songs, all that sort of stuff. But um, but I've actually found that coming out of lockdown, I'm I'm actually much more passionate about playing live and interacting with people and like I've just said yes to more things um, and yep. that was a side effect that was surprising to me. <laughs> yep. I think it's just because we were forced into that without sort of agreeing to it, you know. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm saying that mm. it would have been an ideal scenario. Yeah, locked in a studio for two years, awesome. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you seriously totally. do miss that, that real-time interaction with people. Yeah. Um, yeah, That's probably absolutely. half the reason why me and my bass player Sim hooked up that live stream. We did like one one night a week live stream sessions. Yeah, and Just that was to... awesome. <laughs> man, <laughs> that, that was, was fun, so man. Good. That was a lot of fun. Yeah, man. Yeah. Um, so we just here hang out in Sim Shed, and we had no ambitions. We we weren't trying to like get on any tops of any streaming polls, or you know, we we mm-hmm. were just having a good time, playing some songs, and people tuned in. That was great. Yeah. People wanted to don- yep. donate. That was great. Yep. Um, and we ch- challenged ourselves with learning a new Tom Waits song every week, which was cool. Um, yes. So just little things like that. It just makes you feel, yep. I don't know, a bit more part of part of something, you know, instead of just yeah, flying yeah, yeah, absolutely. Part of a group or, or like you're doing something for someone yep. else apart from yourself. Well, that was one of the things that I actually found really difficult is that with our band, um, with The Wilds, Lachlan and Sean live together um, in South Melbourne. Um, And so they were writing songs and having living room jams and stuff like that. And Lachlan had his piano bar on a Monday night where he'd play play a few songs. And it was like I, every week, I, I had to like film myself doing something like making a cocktail or cooking a meal and sending it in. That was my contribution to the show. Um, and, um, and, and, and so, so, so that, was, that was a little bit tricky because you go, oh, man, I'd, I would just love an afternoon to, to be in there with them having a whiskey and playing some songs, you know. But, um, but, but, yeah. then, but then the other part of it that, that I actually found um, kind of harder in some ways was, was when when there are times that people are coming into your space and into your studio and, um, and there's preparations that you have a deal either with them or even with yourself, hey, when they walk in, this is where we'll be out with the project. The way that the lockdowns in Melbourne actually felt like they may never cease <laughs> for a little while um, and, and, and straight up, I didn't really have a problem with, with all of that. But um, it, it did feel... I'm, I'm a very structured person with the studio because it's a home studio. I'm like, I start at 10 a.m. and I finish at 6 o'clock. You know, it's like yeah. to, for me to work outside of those parameters, then um, there has to be something where my family isn't in the house and they're off doing something else. And, you know, like I've got very strict rules about when and how I work because otherwise I would just disappear into here. Um, yeah. and, and I found w- with lockdown it's like you take two hours 
because all your kids are like, uh, like my kids are grown up as well, so they've got full time jobs and it's like so they're working from home downstairs. Mel's got an office in what used to be, you know, my reverb spot. <laughs> um, you know, so she's <laughs> she's doing Zoom calls and stuff all day, and um, and so you go, oh yeah, no worries. Well, I guess I'll go downstairs and make everyone lunch or something like that, and then and yeah. then you just find yourself working funny hours, and everyone's like, who cares? You know, we're all sick of you. Being miserable anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you were fairly productive. You you put out an album in that time, right? It was that for yeah, we did for practice sake, like the the instrumental record you put out. Oh yes, yes. Sorry, that one. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were talking about Wild's albums. Um, oh, we cool. Put out well, we'll talk time. about both. But yes, yeah, yeah, sure. Um, well, yeah, the instrumental one was just like I I record myself practicing a bit. I always think it's good to hear yourself back because, you know, sometimes sometimes there'll be something small on a session like, um, you know, for example, my slide playing um, was a big focus of that instrumental thing. I'm not Pete Cornelius. Um, oh, come on. And, and, <laughs> and I, I, I just decided that I was going to learn all of these songs and as I was trying things like... There are a lot of little technical focuses in there and I just thought, hey, you know what, like some of this is, you know, it's, it's very me, like it's very mellow music and all that sort of stuff and I'm like, I don't know, outside chance people might like to hear this. They could, you know, they're in lockdown. They could put it on while they're cleaning their house or they could meditate to it or they could have it on while, you know, maybe relax to it while they're, you know. I sometimes find music, you know, without the attention grabbing of the lyrics can be, you know, can be pretty therapeutic. So I just thought, oh, you know what, yeah. like I'll, I'll just compile a couple of these, ask my friends who wrote the songs and just go, hey, do you mind if, if I dump this on a, on a Bandcamp page and give it away? And they're like, no, that's cool, that's fine. Um, so, yeah, it was, it, it was very much like there are a few things, like I'm not a very good piano player. A couple of the songs just have, you know, are in keys that I wanted to get my hands around some other chords and... Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot of technical focus for me, but it just ended up kind of ambient, soft music, and so I just thought, yeah, I'll put that on a, on a page and give it away. <laughs> it's great. And yeah. it's always good, like, no, no matter... Every time you record it, your instrument, you'll, you've learnt something straight away. You've probably learnt totally. something about the tone or mm -hmm. the push and pull of the feel or maybe you've yeah. put a capo in a funny spot that you might not have done normally or... or, or I don't know. It's always nice to to hear yourself back as a reference, as a timestamp, and go, "Okay, cool. That's where I was at." Or, like you said, as a learning tool. Yeah. Go. I'm going to learn these songs. Yeah, and yeah I'm going to yeah. play them with a lap steel. I'm going to play them with a bottleneck, or I'm going to try different tuning and yeah. try and play the same part. Like it's such a great, great, great thing. So for those listeners who are out there. Who haven't dabbled in recording? I can definitely highly recommend just getting a tiny little interface. You can spend hundred bucks on a little Focusrite thing and just plug your guitar in, or even yep. on GarageBand or whatever. Just use the mic that's been built into the device and just go to town. Totally, you know, you can't hurt anything, so go for it. Yeah, no, that's that's good. That that is some good advice, Pete. I, I think. So, let, so tell me a bit about the Wilds record you guys did in lockdown too, or is that have you guys done one since then as well? You've you've put out a few, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so we had a live record that was bits and pieces from, you know, like multi-tracks that we'd collected from gigs. Like it was just when we were playing one of those nicer rooms, like, a, you know, a theatre or whatever, it was just like, hey, do you, have the, do you have that thing where we can jam a stick in there and take the multi-track home? It's just <laughs> like, like we just, we just kind of collect those where possible. Right. Yeah, we just decided that um, that we would have a go um, at at a live record, and 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 that was pretty good. We also thought it was a pretty special and unique time to put out a live record when people couldn't see gigs. You know, like it's like you can you can do your you know Lachlan's Monday Night Stream playing his piano and singing Bob Dylan songs, but it's like you know so often that what the people um, you know like people were connecting with it, but it's like yeah, like it wasn't something that you know, Sean or Riley or I could could really be part of, and and uh, or, or at least not easily. And it just, it was just like, hey, well, we have these, like like we should do it. So that was that was the very basic story of that. And then the other one was the was the album that we 
that we recorded. We had actually submitted that record. I think I think the guts of that album were made. We might have done a few overdubs uh, like once we entered the first lockdown and we may have done a little bit of work on it. But, but for all intents and purposes, that was submitted to our record label um, sure. by the time we entered lockdown and it was just drizzling out singles from it in case we came out of lockdown and then it's like, hey, and now here's a music video or we could do something quickly. But as time went on, it was like, oh, well, we either release this album or, you know, or we don't, like, because we're, we're yep. all writing songs, we're all, we're all having a go at, um, we're all having a go at things. And um, it was funny, uh, Lachlan and I had a really frank discussion about it because, like, it was, it was mixed. Um, this, um, this friend of the band's had mastered it, um, this American guy, John Burnside, and, and it was, it was, ready to go. Like the label had, yeah, yeah, we love this album. It's cool. And me and Lachlan were talking on the phone one day and we were just, we were both like, I'm really, I'm really not into this album. <laughs> like I'm, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just not really, I'm not there anymore. Like, and, and he was like, yep. yeah, I've got a couple of things that I think would make this album much better as well. I'm like, send me a demo. And so there's three, very late in the game, three songs got scrapped off of that album. And sure. we essentially took it back from the record label and said, no, 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 it's not ready. We're not doing that. Yep. Uh, and, um, and so three of them were recorded at our um, home studios in in isolation, like Lachlan has a Lachlan's got um, a Steinberg interface and an SM7B and um, cool and one of the one of the OPR eighty sevens or whatever, and he recorded his piano. Yep. And, and um, yep. I think I think I gave him a pair of Rode pencil mics so that he could do it in stereo. Um, and and so and the fact that Sean lived with him, it was like yeah, there might have even been yeah, there was one song that was a song that Sean and Riley wrote. And they sent me the demo and I said, all right, cool, well, I'm hearing it something like this and I had a morning where I could run around a little bit and I sent it back and Lachlan's like, I'll just put a vocal on this and we're done. Um, so, yep. the, the, like, you really, we, we really kind of had to be open to the fact that it's like, hey, if at this point if somebody plays something and gets a really good sound from their home space or whatever, then it goes on the record, you know. Like it's, uh, you know, it, it doesn't matter if you're cool. the guitar player or the bass player or the, you know, it was just a real, it was just a really um, open process and, and, and everyone was cool with it and the album was, is now something that I go, hey, I'm actually really proud of that album, <laughs> you know, where, where it wasn't going to be like that. So the three songs that got scrapped, do they, they get re-recorded, those three songs, or are they three new songs? Nah, three different songs. <laughs> cool. Um, yep. Yeah, I, I, I actually scrapped one that, that I had written. I was like, yeah, we just didn't get the sessions right until we can get in a studio and actually like hammer one out of that. I don't think, you know, I, that's just one that, you know, it was like a 680 thing. I feel like everybody just needed to, to hit the swing of it right. And, um, yep. And we kind of tried to rock it up a bit too much, which is, is not, you know, with the wilds, that's not our natural habitat. So with a bit of reworking, you guys sort of made it work and made it relevant again. Because that's yeah, what yeah, happens yeah. sometimes. I find that if you leave a project for too long, it's just not totally. who you are or the songs don't relate. You know, yep. They just get a bit stale and you've got to act, act fast, get it out. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that, like, massively. And because, like, like, when we talk about records, they're, you know, that's what they are. They're, like, they're a record. They're, they're, they're a point in time to me. Like, and it's like, you know, you can, you know, you can slave over one more than others or you can, um, you can say, all right, we're doing this indefinitely. We're definitely going to have this done in this amount of time, you know, whether it's two days or two months, you know, like, um, but... But but that, I I certainly feel like the most dangerous thing, and there's a couple that have been forced into this world um, for us because of um, because of the last two years. I don't want to keep talking about that. Um, but um, <laughs> but they they uh, there's there's records that were started before that time that people's 
financial situations have changed or like or what they want to do and you know you find yourself just working on a single at a time and and there's still records yeah. on my computer that aren't finished from pre pre-covid you know um sure and it's crazy and you just go oh man like that would drive me as a songwriter it would drive me crazy because i guarantee they've got 20 other songs that they're probably wanting to get going on <laughs> yeah yeah well let's let's get away from the cove Speak. Let's um. Let's delve into some guitar related things. And how how about guitar setups? Do you sort of tinker yourself a little bit in that regard? Do you get out the Allen keys on the truss rod or saddle yeah, heights? Yeah, a tiny bit. If it's it, yeah, yeah, I, I I do, but um, but but that's only because I I have a few instruments and to to give them the royal treatment all the time, like as often as I'd, as I'd like to, would be prohibitively expensive. So um so so when something just needs a little tickle up, then then I'll give yep. it a go, um, and yeah, yeah. And in terms of setups, like I, um, something that's that's really important to me is is the sound. Like especially around the country scene, I see all these guys playing like Telecasters with tens or nines even, and it's like if you breathe on them, they fret out and all that sort of stuff. And and I would rather like. Yeah, you know, I'm not like a Brent, a student of Brent Mason or anything like that. Like, I, I think he's amazing, but um, but I I would rather not be able to execute as fast, and have the instrument sound really good, um, and be able to pick up a slide quickly for for a part and not and, and and not have everything buzzing out. Like that's that's something that I'm really passionate about is thick strings, and um, and high actions. Has that come over time, or did you sort of start? Yes, start there. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Uh, that's definitely come over time. Um, like I, I, I had a set of thick strings on my first guitar once just because um, they, they sort of – I noticed that they aged not as quickly and, um, and when I started guitar I wasn't even – I wasn't old enough to have a part-time job or anything like that. So, so it's like the, the idea of getting new strings constantly was really hard and I, and I was like, yeah, thick strings, yeah, that, they seem to not age as quick uh, and they don't – lose their intonation as quickly and you can be stronger with them and all that sort of stuff. So I liked them, but I kept going back because I was still learning and getting strength in my hands. And, um, and then it hit a point probably when I was a couple of years out of high school where I was like, where I, I just felt like every time I was saying to somebody, man, your guitar sounds so good, what's the, what's the thing here? And um, it seemed to be that the guys that I said that to were, were like, yeah, I've, you know, Started going down this rabbit hole. This was like pre John Mayer, where you know John Mayer comes along and everybody wants to talk about it. You know, like but um, <laughs> but but this was before <laughs> um, this was before that. So um, uh, but yeah, there was definitely a correlation between guys like me. Uh, you know, I've always been kind of a Stratocaster player mainly, and um, and going reasonably beefy on those, I think makes makes a big difference. And one thing I have noticed, I'm totally a straight guy as well. I. I it's my first proper Fender, I, I guess, because I had a massive Steve Ray Vaughan crush as a kid. You know, learnt all of his yeah, licks, man. and I even got one of his signature strats. That was my first Fender. Awesome, and yes. I've still got it. It's so good. Such a great sounding, big fat neck on it. I'm, I'm happy that that was my first Fender, the Steve Ray Vaughan strat. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah. yeah. Once you start putting bigger strings on them, you've got a bit more to do in terms of your setup with your springs because your tremolo is going to like dive. So you kind of have to – it's like a real balancing act, finding the right string uh, – the spring tension, sure. sorry. And whether you want the tremolo kind of like hard up against the wood or you want it like sort of semi-floating and – yeah, there's, yeah, there's yeah. a few little techniques in there. So – and that, that's sure. great stuff to get into at a young age to sort of just start tinkering and going, oh, what does this do? What does this screw do? Like, and I guess we do have YouTube now as a little um, a guide definitely, or a definitely. point we can go back to if we stuff it up too much. But, you know, I, I think it's good having a little bit of interest in that stuff and doing a bit of your own maintenance. Um, I know yeah, recently absolutely. I've been just sort of every few string changes getting out a little fret file and just sort of like or, or just polishing awesome. the frets a little bit. You know, stuff like that. And then you pick it up the next time and you go, oh, geez, that feels great. I'm glad I did that. Yeah, yeah. So just, yeah, small things like yeah. that. I think are great little things to, you know, save a few bucks and to learn some skills and yeah, definitely yeah. help and, you out. And, you ne and, and in terms of maintenance, you, you never stop. You, like there's never little bits of information that you go, 
Oh, wow. Like, um, like recently I played a gig a, just a couple of weeks ago now uh, or last week and I got like an insurance claim going. I didn't notice it was there for a start, but even if I did notice it was there, my guitar rack was in front of, um, was in front of one of those smoke machines or whatever. And I, I never even knew that this happened. But, like, when I picked up my Junior, which is a satin finish, it had, like, really badly, like, it, it felt a bit sticky. And then when I wiped it <laughs> off, all the finish just came straight off it, right? Oh, um, and, and I didn't know that. So, so I ha- yeah, hang on. I'll, I'll show you this. This is... Yeah, let me see. Yeah, so just a normal Junior, but, like, all... Oh, yeah, it's all chipped. That. All yeah, yeah. But, uh, but those... Yeah, it, yeah. That is that is just um, that's just that's, so that's sat in front of your chemical smoke, stuff they put machine. in. Yeah, it was in the middle of the rack, and next to it was my Levinson blade strap, which is like a two pack finish or something, I think. And yep. my Duesenberg lap steel, both totally fine. But uh, as soon as I picked up that guitar, like at first I was like, oh, maybe somebody spilled a drink or something at the back of the stage because it was kind of sticky. But when I got it home and pulled it out for a session the next day, gave it one wipe down and I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. Because they, they do get pretty hot, those smoke machines. We used to have one in the back of the van. We'd bring out every now and again and yeah. accidentally, well, not accidentally, but our, our drummer would hold the switch and just take pride in, like, covering the whole venue in smoke. But they used to get quite hot. <laughs> I noticed. So maybe yeah, it was right. a heat-related thing as well. I don't know. Maybe. Don't know. Maybe. Could be the chemical. We'll see. But that sucks. Yeah, if, yeah. if you don't want it to age like that, you know. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. Pull oh, hog and strip it back and strip it back. Yeah, get yeah. that retro but, use look. Yeah. The main thing is I don't <laughs> want to. Uh, the, you know, I don't like. I definitely don't want to be. You know, because it's a junior. It's not the most expensive Gibson or anything like that. But um, I would hate for somebody to go. All right, we'll replace your guitar because I just like that one. It's awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. So, what what draws you to a particular guitar, man? Like, um, do you yes. hear sounds in advance? Like, if you're playing on someone's record or you're at a live gig, mm-hmm. when do you know that's a Telly song, or when's that? I've been listening through the playlist you sent me of some of the work you've been involved yep. with, and I've noticed that you've got a way of making that guitar sound like that guitar. Like I can hear yeah, I can right. hear a Telecaster and I can hear a Strat or I could hear mm-hmm. a, a Gretsch or something. Like it sort of sounded... Yep, totally. I don't know, like for some reason when I, I, I play a particular instrument, I still have strong elements of my tone or my sound with a bit yeah. more, with a bit of Strat, bit of Tele perhaps or whatever, but... But yeah, but when I hear you, you play, it sort of sounds like that instrument. You've got a good way of yeah, right. um, getting that out somehow. I don't know. Is there? Is that when yeah, you're conscious? Right. Well, well, like, I don't yeah. know. Maybe my playing just doesn't have as much personality as yours, Pete. Like, um, <laughs> like I, I kind of, I kind of think, like I do think about what guitar I'm going to play on what songs really strongly and 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 when i'm choosing an instrument like if i'm going to buy an instrument like like it sounds really corny but like an, an instrument will generally you know find its way to me like like i don't necessarily sit there like scrolling marketplace all day going hey that's a good price for one of them like 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 i'm not a collector in that way and almost all of my guitars are stock and so so for me the main thing that i'm looking for i almost never plug an instrument in before I buy it. Like to me, there's so, like there's something about the way that it happens acoustically that you go, hey, like I connect with this thing and it makes my hands do something different. Like, like it inspires me to... Um, so unplugged, I actually think that you get the sound of the instrument and it doesn't matter what pickup's in it. Yeah, sure, like if, you, if you've got like a, you know, Orpheus custom wound something or other like yes it stands to reason that it could be better but that's the easiest thing to change on an instrument the hardest thing is getting them so that they speak a certain way that makes you want to do something with them great um like like for example my like my favorite guitar at the moment and and i got it just because i i thought it looked cool and i saw shannon Bourne playing one once and i was like oh (laughs) wow they reissued they reissued the uh 
Epi Coronet, the single pickup P90. Yeah. Thing. Um, yeah. And um, and and I went into to Sky Music. Uh, I've got got a friend that works up there, Katie, and um, and I was like, hey, I just want to check out this, you know, these guitars. Like they're, you know, they look cool. Single P90, real simple. Um, and and I played it, and it was awesome. It came out of the box. It was all, like almost in tune, and and it's and and I love that guitar. Like I've taken it on the road a bunch now, and um, and I've played a couple since because I was like, I want to get a backup for it. And dogs, like, uh, and it's just like, wow. Well, that happened to be the first one uh, at the shop when she was getting it out of the box. She was like, oh, did you want to try a red one or a black one? And I was like, don't care, just. Just want to try one, <laughs> and when I played that yeah. one, I was like, "Cool, I'm definitely taking this guitar." Um, That's great. Yeah, yeah, and and even like like I know you've got like a really beautiful three five five or a three three five or something like that, but it's like my my hollow body instrument, um, like my Gibson style hollow body instrument, is one of those new cheap guild things, and um, yep. and I went in to get some drumsticks from a music store that Mitch Powell works at um, just up the road from me. And I was like, oh, you guys have got those. You know, are they any good? He's like, oh, I haven't played them yet. I took some photos of them for the website. but And we checked them out and he was like, oh, this is a good guitar. You know, and I was like, it, it really is. You know, <laughs> and it's just like, played great, left with it. You know, like it's not, um, yeah, there's a, there's a few instruments that like, like it, it would be very rare for me to discover later in the game. Like I know a lot of people buy a guitar and then go, yeah, I'm not sure about that one. Like, maybe it's cool. Maybe I just got to live with it for a bit. But if it doesn't, then I'll get rid of it. it would, that would be a very rare situation for me because I, I'll pretty much only buy an instrument that I'm like, no, nah, I'm really drawn to this. Like, like I really, yep. I really want this um, as as part of as part of the palette. You know. Yep. And is that a big part of um, the purchase? Like, because it's going to sit in amongst other guitars. As a point of difference, or is it like, yeah, this could be a number one guitar, or this could be a do-it-all guitar, or do you sort of more of a, more of a, like a signature sound for a particular like, yeah, I don't know, what's your vibe on that? Generally, I'm looking for something really specific. Like, like I might, I might hear a record. Like until recently, I didn't really have a guitar that had P90s in it at all, and I'm so into them now. Like I just heard some records. And I was like, how do they get that sound? How do, you know, like, like, what's the deal with that? Like, what am I missing here? And a friend was living overseas for a little while and I, I minded, he had this gold top Les Paul that, uh, it was a Les Paul Deluxe with the two P90s. Yeah. Uh, and he just, he was like, man, can you just take care of this guitar while I was gone? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and um, it was such a good guitar and I found that, like, I, I used it, on so many overdubs, and it and and it really had a dialed in specific um, sound, like uh, like especially for for playing slide parts and getting those roomy kind of sounds that are on like Jason Isbell records and things like that. Like it was yeah. just it was just a, a real built in sound, and I was like, oh yes, that's going to be a hard guitar to give back for sure. You know, and so and so obviously after that, I was like, no, nah, you know, that's that's something that now now that I've had, I've got to find a good way of of um, of getting something that sounds a bit like that into the collection. Yep. Yeah, it definitely a great great pickup. And then, no, I think they kind of do a bit of everything. You know, depending totally. on the on the on the action or the amp or pedal choice, mm-hmm. um, you can definitely get a yeah. lot of tones out of a P ninety if you can put up For with sure. that a little bit of noise that. Noise, yeah, 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 great, great. Yeah, unit. yeah. Oh, oh, right. I'm not over. I, I'm not overdriven really heavily anyway. So yeah. like the noise is is not even is not a, a massive factor. Like I'm just looking at my pedals now, and it's like I, I do have one overdrive that's like almost always on, but that's kind of just doing the like if you can't get your amp loud enough sort of thing. <laughs> um, um, yep, and. And and then when I can get my amp loud enough, then that becomes my solo boost, and then the next pedal along sort of almost doesn't get used. Um, but but I, yeah, I only really find the noise of drama when when you start entering fuzz fuzz town. 
Yeah, yeah. Which is a little bit and of it's, I find it a little <laughs> bit venue specific too. Sometimes some venues have bad, like, oh, really crap power. So that's, that's sometimes when the single coils aren't yep. so great. But yeah. Yep. Any, any pedals you've got down there that haven't of, left your board? Sorry, man. Any pedals down um, there that haven't left your board? Uh, yeah. Yeah. For well, well, there's a few. Like, like, like there's always, like, like I love for fuzz, I love, I've got one of those Keely fuzz benders. Um, which is like it's got it's got a bit of the bias it's got the bias knob on it so you can get a little bit of that fuzz factory splatty uh, Queens of the Stone Age thing, but it's yeah. I, I think ooh, I think what they were trying to do is is do a bit of a um, is do a bit of a tone bender with that feature um, and cool. and I I think that sounds great um, at the moment my overdrives um, a friend a friend of ours makes the overdrive pedals that I normally use, but they're sitting over there. They've busted uh, the switches on them are gone, so I'll get him to fix them, but oh, he's overseas. Right. Old Jeez. Shane Nicholson. <laughs> um, so so Shane, he's got um, – he made me a, a Nobels and a Jan Ray like um, or a Timmy. Oh, or, cool. You know, yep. whatever those yep. are. Um, and, and he did a really sweet thing. He oh, – hang about. He he called the Nobels the noble calf, and um, and, and he made it blue to match my eyes. Perfect, <laughs> match made in heaven. Um, yeah, yeah. So so but so for overdrives at the moment, I've got, uh, and I am really enjoying. I've put my Clon KTR on for my kind of always on thing, and that sounds really good. Um, one that almost never leaves because it's like the real get out of trouble pedal. I've got this Hotone. It's a very small wah pedal that can be um, an active volume pedal as well. Um, oh, wow. So, so if it's clicked one way, it's a wah-wah, which I almost never need, but just occasionally there's like one song in a set and you go, oh, man, I wish I had that. Um, and then... And then the other time it's it's an active it's an active wire. And the advantage of being active is you don't get all that tone suck. So if I've got to play steel or if there's a song that I'm playing some slide parts on or something and I just want to fade in a little bit, that's super handy. Um, yeah, nice. The Boss DD200. Nice yeah, yeah, tiny, tiny. It's great. Um, I'm running my whole board on this, on this little... I was using a pedal train but um, my delay pedal, the Boss DD200... The front of it ramps down and I was stepping on knobs of pedals that were in front of it and stuff. So I just got this tiny little NUX board. Oh, and, cool. And, um, yeah, yep. everything kind of fit. Everything fits on it kind of nice. Excellent. And, um, at, and I've got a rule where pedals, except for drives, should be able to do two jobs, at, you know, at least. So having the five presets on the delay and the 14 presets or whatever it is on that Ocean's reverb pedal is um, handy. Nice. Yeah, definitely nice to have the ability to go to different sounds on the fly. And For I sure. think especially if, if you are playing with so many different styles of singer-songwriters, to be able to dial in tones on the fly yeah. like that would be a great asset. Yeah. Cool, man. Well... Well, what else we got? Maybe I can ask you one more question before we, we head off. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no worries. What's, what, what do you think is the best investment you've made, whether it be a physical thing or not or regardless of value, what's, what's been one thing in your guitar career or studio career perhaps that you think you've bought that has been like a great investment of sorts? Yeah, that's a, that is a good question. That is... Because on one hand, you want to. On one hand, like I straight away think of my green Levinson Blade Strat because that I've had it since I was nineteen. It was my first like great guitar sort of thing. Yeah. But um, but I don't know. There's there's um there's a huge part of me as well that is that is that has to concede that. Uh, subscribing to the music services is probably is probably the most valuable thing for me. I can learn tunes there. Nice. I can get motivation and inspiration. Um, yep. um, 
you know, I can I, I can see what what everyone's up to. Um, I know that I know that they're, they're really debatable as to whether they're a good thing or not. But um, but I kind of try to approach that like a consumer and um, and just go. It's so good for music fans, and and I just get so much from it. Like like somebody I was away with with uh, Melinda, my wife, um, this weekend. And I had a client messaging me, um, saying, "Hey, look, with this song, like, and and he wasn't sure. There were a few different ways he wanted to go. He he was able to text message me a link to a high res version of the song that I could play through the UE that was in the accommodation that we were staying at. And I go, yeah, man, yeah. that would be a great approach for that, you know. And it's like, like, unless." When I started recording, unless people showed up with CDs and references and you were having to rip things and import them into your project so you had a reference in there and, like, you know, being... I, I, think, I think the ability to consume music really broadly and hear anything at any time is, is probably the best investment that I can That's think of. That's a great answer, man. Moment. It's great. Uh-huh. Such a, <laughs> yeah, I think it's fantastic because everyone quite often... As a musician, um, you hear a, a lot of bad rap. You had a lot of people just bagging them out because they don't, you know, you, the, the financial re- reward for putting your music onto a streaming service is very small. And I, I know artists who don't even, they don't even want their music on there because they don't believe in it. But I, I think that's a fantastic, yeah. fantastic way to look at it. And we, I, th- I think mm. we are very lucky in that regard that we can have access to so many amazing songs, albums, at, the, at our fingertips within yeah. moments. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. The other thing, the, the only other thing that I'll add to that, and it's directly related to that, is a few years ago I needed to change my speakers in my studio really quickly as well because I had a tweeter go on these old cheap ones that I'd had for years. And I got a pair of um, Adam T7Vs and I think that they are an incredible sounding speaker and and I like coming in here and just listening to music on them you know like, yeah. so, so 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 I think anything that just brings the enjoyment of music um is is probably the best investment you can make yeah right on well done well thanks very much for coming on the show today mate being a guest no on worries. the podcast it's been nice having, a chat, having me catching up with you yeah absolutely. and hope hope you're doing well over there in Melbourne hope you get some some more fun sessions come in and out and some gigs. And yeah. Yeah, it's going to be and, great. Uh, and I hope we can catch up again sometime soon, mate. So Yeah, man. Take yeah. it easy. See you soon. All right. Bye See bye. you, Pete. Thanks for listening, folks, to another episode of Say It With Guitars. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe to the podcast, share it around to your mates, leave a good review, and hopefully we'll see you next time.